Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Please visit audiblepodcast.com slash smartest for your free audiobook download. Ladies and gentlemen, Greg Proops. Hello, everybody. Smartest man in the world, Proopcast, once again takes to the ether. From the salubrious confines of the rich maroon interior of the Bar Lubitsch here in West Hollywood, uh, where we uh, once again enjoying the palpitating pace that dictates this festive neighborhood uh, and its particular predilections. Across the street from the pleasure chest here, where it is uh, indicated on the uh, um, pleasure chest wall that they would like you to get your heart on, because it is February. And uh, as you know, we had anal August, and uh, we had October, and... uh, we also had uh, January, I believe, and now February, and next month, Slarch. Uh, thank you, Matt. Uh, so it's always exciting to work across the street from a novelty uh, sex toy store. I would have it no other way. Uh, I, I don't see how I can, really. Uh, so it's exciting to be uh, back here at the, uh, the Lubitsch. I can't remember where I've been, but when I do, fuck, I'm going to have some stories about that shit. <laughs> I was in uh, uh, San Francisco last week uh, for the San Francisco Sketch Fest, uh, which, as you know, t- is a very lengthy festival. Now, you, when, I, when it first started in the uh, 40s, um, we, had, we had just uh, showed Japan what, what peace was going to be like. <laughs> the Sketch Fest was only a couple of days then, and it was just some errant you know, street theater type stuff in the, in the great tradition of San Francisco, a uh, street uh, polemic. Uh, dialectic acted out with giant broad characters and enormous heads and uh, unforgivable agendas and and haircuts. Uh, And then, of course, it morphed quickly into the uh, international conglomerate that it is today. The Sketch Fest is actually still running, I think, as of this week. When did you get back, Matt? Two days ago? Uh, Matt was up there with another podcast because... um, (laughs) Matt goes out with other guys... (laughs) Uh, whatever. Here's my story that's sad but true. Uh, about a producer I once knew. He took my podcast and ran around. With Jimmy Pardo up in Frissy Town. Um, yeah, he was up there with a Pardo show, was it? Yeah. And yet you weren't at Doug's show. I did Doug uh, Benson's show, Doug Loves Movies, when I was in San Francisco, and I didn't see you anywhere there, and, and yet, ostensibly, you're a member of that? Uh, yeah, I was in Indiana. Oh, you're in Indiana. Oh, I see. Um, why? <laughs> oh, you're doing Jimmy Pardo's show in Indiana, so you're really up his butt right now. This is pretty weird. <laughs> I travel all over the country, the world, the Caribbean, England, and what? You've never, ever said, I'll fucking go with you. Jimmy Pardo goes to Indiana, you're like, when do I get to go to Merrillville? This is going to be awesome. <laughs> Maybe we can have a pork chop sandwich in Terra Hut before we go to the Carbohydrate Festival or whatever. I get where I stand. It's not an ego thing with me. I just want perspective. It's not delusional if it's true. Hey, Matt, what? And two, part two of the equation, Evs. 
Indiana. If, if you'd said I was in, I was having a madcap escapade in Acapulco. Uh, yeah, right. The, the Duchess was in town again, and you know I can't resist her fucking uh, powders and bromides. I would have gone, well, up to be sure, jump on that donkey and let's go. Uh, on the wings of a macaw. But no. I was in Indiana doing Pardo's show. Well, that must have been a kick in the old keister. Really? I wonder if the corn waved. I'm funnier when I'm pissier. It's true. When I'm genial and easy going, not that funny, more preachy. When I'm fucked off, good times. Good times, bye, arches. Uh, so I was in San Francisco. Matt was there last uh, this week, of course. I think it's still going. I think what I'm getting at is the San Francisco Sketch Fest started as a two-day affair with three fucking lame improv people looking at each other going, I need a suggestion for something that goes inside socks. And then... Uh, <laughs> What was my favorite one we just read? Uh, Jennifer, remember that? Uh, someone described whose line as, two, I think I used this already on the show, two, two 40-year-olds trying to hail a cab while they're tr- pretending to be a raptor. Um, that, that's what that it started as. And now it's a 17-week festival. It goes on and on. Uh, there's, a, there's a French part. I didn't even know that of Sketchfest. Uh, at least it's not divided up into queers and women and uh, you know uh, people of color. Uh, I, I do love when that. I remember years ago at the Toronto Festival, there was a gay uh, show. I was on the San Francisco show, which coincidentally, or I, uh, uh, improperly using ironically, wasn't the gay show. The gay show was separate from the San Francisco show. Uh, there was a New, a New York stage, which meant seven guys named Nick. <laughs> they always divide it up that way, right? And then they'll have an Irish stage. Montreal always does it. They'll be like, a night of Irish comedy. Everyone on the bill's named Dermot. <laughs> well, fuck me. <laughs> and then, uh, horribly, women always used to get called, uh, I believe it was Ladies of Humor, Ladies of the Night. That was my favorite title for any 80s ladies comedy special. Ladies of the Night. So let me get this straight. I can negotiate as a trick, and I can expect to hear bountiful punchlines. <laughs> Uh, so they didn't have it divided, but we did. There was a lot. There was sketches and skits and all kinds. Of, it was really fun. We did one gig in a venue. See, now there are more people. Do I have to go out into the outer bar and fucking throw my cock down? Yeah. <laughs> I was complaining there wasn't enough tables and chairs in tonight. By the way, if you're listening out there in Proofcast Line, if you just downloaded this and you're at the gym, just speed through the next couple of minutes. <laughs> I came in here tonight with every good intention of being a hilarious comedian sorted out with my world with somewhere near 30 pages of fucking material. Not written material, just shit that I look at. And as you can tell, I'm not married to the script in any way. Um, but when I've come in here tonight, they're switching managers or some fucking restaurant nonsense. And believe me, I worked in enough restaurants to know what the fuck happened today. The, ni- the day manager's gone. There is no fucking night manager. Uh, as Jack Nicholson said in the movie The Last Detail, Shore Patrol, I am the fucking Shore Patrol. <laughs> so apparently I am fucking bottle washer, chair mover, and fucking everything here tonight. Not just the sensitive artist who rips the proof cast from his soul through a sheer force of will because of the emotionality that it costs me each time I do this. Like Drew Barrymore's character in Firestarter, each time I use my powers, it diminishes me. 
I lay on the floor with wetted frogs on my eyes, hoping that the migraines will be abated by the use of amphibians. I can't tell you how much it hurts each time I put myself on the line for you cocksuckers and then come into complete mortal indifference at a venue that I've been playing. How long have we played here? A year? Now, I realize that we're a 7 o'clock show in a bar that has an 8 o'clock fucking comedy show, then a 9 o'clock big dick wet t-shirt show, then a 10 o'clock coke snorting hipsters in their car, I'll meet you outside show, and then an 11 o'clock fucking anything can happen, crazy Euro disco, you know, fucking people from Germany intended shade show. I realize we're but the beginning of an evening for the benefit of Mr. fucking Kite or whatever. And that the Hendersons will all be here. Late of Pablo Fanky's squeer. And all that shit. But is it too much to ask to have a couple of fucking chairs in the room when you know there's going to be a couple fucking people walk in and want to fucking drink? If I could over-fucking use the fucking word fuck in this fucking sentence? <laughs> somebody go to the outer bar. And by somebody, I mean somebody in the back standing. There's chairs out there at the fucking outer bar in the other area. They don't seem to know where the other chairs are stored in this bar. What I don't want to happen is a Triangle Shirtwaist Company fire situation here tonight. I don't want this to turn into a, what was the chicken farm that blew up and everybody was chained to their chicken machine? Where they'd never been allowed breaks and they had to work... What the cock is that? Actually, I like that. That sounded like the Tsarina just entered. And one of the jewels she keeps in her lower regions had clanged together with another one, like Benoit emeralds or something. That noise, that noise came clinging through. I'm happy again now. Not so happy that I... Well, anyway, it looks like everybody's finally seated, thank fuck. Uh, let's get to all the business first. We have so many... I'm going to have a new, um, a sexy, sexy new website uh, called gregproops.com. How exciting. And, um, but through there, you'll be able to go to everything, proopcast.com. And it, it's, you know, obviously heavily smartest man in the world, vodcast oriented. But all the gigs are on there, all the stand-up gigs, all the podcast gigs, uh, all the gigs I do with my super friends from the show Whose Line Is It Anyway? Or as you know it, two 40-year-olds pretending to be raptors hailing a taxi. And... Uh, <laughs> Believe me, we do it live, and you ain't seen Raptor the way we do fucking Raptor. Thanks for your mild fucking applause on that one. But we're going around the... So if you go to gregproofs.com, you can go on there. There's an Audible website there. we got some new ads, too. Uh, and uh, uh, you click on those, and it'll help keep the show going. Uh, as uh, The only justification I could possibly have for all the advertising is... Um, we don't charge. Uh, it's free to get in here like you guys walked in free, and, uh, and we don't charge to download it. So uh, if you have a complaint, uh, take it upstairs. <laughs> and by upstairs, I mean up above where my man bag swings. <laughs> in other words, let's do a meet and greet if you have a complaint. Meet this and greet these, okay? That's, that's where you can complain to, all right? Visit my ornaments during the everlasting Christmas sale. <laughs> Yeah, you get a free gift every time you download. So, yeah. So, if you want to click on one of the ads to help keep fucking people in marijuana, then do that thing. Because that's what it takes. When I, but you charge when you're on the road, Greg. Yeah, I'm at fucking comedy clubs when I'm on the road. Well, what's this fucking club? You, I, you heard what this was. Look at, look at the lighting in here. This isn't a comedy club. It's awesome. 
uh, we're here tonight. We're at uh, Charlie Goodnight. Oh, it's not called Charlie Goodnights. It's called Goodnights in Raleigh uh, on the 23rd. At, uh, it says 8 p.m., but I think it might be a late show. Uh, and I'll be doing a lot of black history when I'm in Raleigh. So that ought to, that ought to rock the Tri-City area. <laughs> then we're in uh, Nashville at Zany's on the 1st. And I ain't been to Nashville before, and I couldn't be more excited. You know what I mean? Like, not right. Someone went, cool. Uh, uh, Memphis, Nashville, you know, there's uh, uh, New Orleans. There's a few places that you go. You got to go there because, you know, something happened. Uh, then, then there's other towns that shall remain nameless, Wilkes-Barre. I'm joking. I liked you in Wilkes-Barre. Fabulous crowd in Wilkes-Barre. They were desperate for entertainment, and that's the only way to put it. Uh, they, they were a lovely... No, they were a lovely crowd. They, they were really smart and, and, and enthusiastic. A fabulous crowd. Uh, but outside, Wilkes-Barre looked like Huddersfield, England in the early 90s. That's all I have to say. If you've ever been to Huddersfield and had tea from a broken mug and watched a guy with no arms eat a bacon sandwich, then, yeah, then you'll know what the feeling in Wilkes-Barre was like. Is this Thai food or am I going to die? I think is the question you have to ask yourself. There was a bookstore. There was a bookstore. There was a bookstore. It was a Borders or something. There was a bookstore. Uh, it's not there anymore, someone said. Someone just been to Wilkes-Barre, have they? No, it's Borders. Oh, yeah, it's a Borders. Uh, and then we'll be at uh, the South by Southwest Festival, because um, my show's hipper than fuck. Um, I'm going to be there, and I'm not even... I'm not even doing my show. I'm doing a tribute to Dwight Twilley. That's how cool my show is. And then a Towns Van Zant poetry reading afterward. <laughs> You heard me. I'm going to be doing all of Jerry Jeff Walker's early work, but I'm going to be reading it in Esperanto. That's how... Yeah, this show's not for anyone anymore. It used to, it used to just be for a few cool people. Now it's for no one. <laughs> we're going to be at South by Southwest. Uh, we're doing a comedy panel, if you can fucking believe that one. Uh, Greg, will you please give us your opinion on the state of comedy? Glad to. Uh, maybe I could give my opinion on hot air ballooning and a lot of topics that I know very little about. Um, in any case, the Montgolfier brothers, I think, are really the pioneers of hot air ballooning. When you go back to the dawn, we're going to do a, a, a panel on, I believe, I'm not sure the name of it, but it's something like, how trenchant is modern satire when viewed from the you know, the rebel in position of those who wish to see life through a prismatic, you know, I don't know what the fuck it's called, but it, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. It's like me, someone from the HuffPo. It's going to be fun. And then, um, and then we're doing the Pripcast at a place called Esther's Follies at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. But I presume that's a good time anyway because my guess is South by Southwest. One, it's in Texas. Two, it's a music festival. Three, it goes on forever and ever. That people are pretty juiced by about 8.30 is my guess. So I don't think 4 o'clock's that bad of a call time. I'm hoping. Uh, so please come see me in Austin at South by Southwest. At that. I think that's free too. I think what happens is everybody who gets to go to South by Southwest has a pass that enables them to go to any venue. Like, we were going to go to the Melissa Etheridge poetry reading, but we got bumped out and had to go to the Tracy Chapman, you know, ping pong ball thing. <laughs> I have just had so many people over the years go to me, hey, have you been to South by Southwest? I'm like, no, I haven't, um, but I'd like to go. And now I'm going to be there, so I have to, make, I have to blend in. I'm not going to Coachella... Uh, because um, 
a grown men my age wear cutoffs? <laughs> D- David Hasselhoff goes there and shit. You know what I mean? The cast of Gossip Girls there. So like, it could be cooler. One, it's in the desert. Two, it's in Coachella. And three. Uh, then uh, we're in London on the 27th of March of Slarch at the Soho Theater. Uh, I'll also be there doing stand-up all week long. Um, do you still do that, Greg? Yeah, that's pretty funny. Um, <laughs> I, I have jokes about China and uh, the Occupy movement. I'm, I'm fucking down with the. I'm down by law. They'll, 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 I'm guessing when I get to London, there'll be some hilarious David Cameron references. <laughs> and what's with these twiglets, anyway? Uh, the so, thank you. Two people know what twiglets are. That's, that joke was designed to fail. Uh, much like our government. Then the, then the 29th... <laughs> Uh, the 29th of March, Glasgow, uh, which is rough and fucking tough. And uh, I want you guys to know something. You're a lovely crowd so far. I know I've browbeat you. I know I've browbeat the staff at the club for no good reason. Uh, I know I've been hissy and huffy, and I haven't told any jokes yet or even got to any, anything of salience. Uh, and so you've been extremely patient in that regard. But having said that, um, you lick Glasgow's balls. That's the answer to that question. <laughs> People in Glasgow would never stand with what you fucking pussies just stood for. <laughs> If I laid into them like that, oh my God. You're mistaking us for a group of people. You know, they would just fucking. If I said the Montgolfier brothers, you would hear from an earlier balloonist in a Scottish accent in that car. Well, hey, is my class on Saxon? You fucking those cunt. You know fucking nothing. Fucking buddy hallway. Oh yeah, it would be hilarious. They are the funniest hecklers in the world. The world. Uh, and then Paris, uh, April 3rd, uh, at La Java in Paris, where I understand uh, it was a favorite of pee-offs. So I'm hoping to have a, an emotional breakdown in the bathroom uh, and then sleep with men who can do me no good and then later have a horrible disease that makes me limp and wear a very pixie-like haircut. <laughs> pee-off got $1,000 a night back in the day, and that's still fucking good money. <laughs> fucking A. What's that? Oh. Uh... Oh, let's get right into the... Uh, so then before that, we were, in, um, uh, we were in San Francisco, and it was fantastic. Um, went to all my favorite restaurants. No, I'm not going to share with you. Um, because they're too good. I don't want everybody fucking coming. But we found another venue in San Francisco that I think might be cool. It's even more underground than this. It's actually an antique sort of furniture store, but I didn't actually see anything that was worth buying in it. That's what made it awesome. We're walking down Mission Street, my wife and I, and there's a dude standing out in front with a kind of a groovy outfit on, like smoking a cheroot, right? So I go, uh, you know, whither goest, broham? And he goes, uh, you know, harky down. And so... We nipped into the fucking place, and it was filled with bric-a-brac, tchotchkes, every manner of effluvium and jutsum from the last uh, mid-century on. Uh, uh, license plates and whatnot. You know, little chairs. But the chairs, you kind of went, it, 
is this, is that here or are you selling it? You know what I mean? There was that sort of thing. And then cases full of shit that you went, are you really selling that? Or am I supposed to look at that? Or do we negotiate? And then buckets of records, right? Like two giant crates of records. And they were all carefully picked too. There was like Harry Belafonte and this and that. And they were all in very good condition. But I thought no one has records, right? Like I have records, but that by that, I mean, no one has records. So who's, you can't keep a store open selling fucking old records. Let me put it that way. Unless it's an old record store, not ostensibly. Then in the middle of this store, uh, in the back, a lending library. Yeah. You fucking heard me a lending library that you had to give them $10 to take a book out for like a couple weeks or whatever. And there was a girl sitting on a shelf. You couldn't know she wasn't for Lent. But she, there was a girl sitting on a shelf reading, talking to another guy. And I like came in and then I was like intimidated and I fucked out. And she was like, no, you can come in. And I'm like, is this a bookstore? And she's like, no, it's a lending library. And I'm like, in the middle of a store that I can't figure out what they're selling? <laughs> um, yes. So we go downstairs. Uh, we're told to go downstairs. Uh, they're having a birthday party downstairs. Well, whose is it? I don't know. Well, why don't you guys go down and have a look? <laughs> Because this is where you might want to do the show, right? I think I said I do a show or something. And they're like, really? Shows are, shows are important. Yeah. It's San Francisco, you know. Shows, are, shows, are, you know, shows can happen. They're vital, right? So, yes, they are. May we see where you put on the show? Well, we're having a private affair down there tonight. There's kind of a... You know, all of a sudden, motorcycles go by in the rain with people with helmets on and lightning flashes and shit. What is this? Some kind of hunting lodge for rich weirdos? You know, that I'm tired and I'm wet and I'm just plain scared, you know. So we go and you arrived on a rather special night. It's one of the master's affairs. We, uh, we walks in, we walks down and um, two girls come running up and go, I love you. And I'm like, you don't know me. And... Uh, then we start chatting, and, uh, and there was a bar going on, and there had been uh, music, and there had been posters and shit and whatnot. And then the guy whose birthday it is is brought over to meet me. Oh, you got to meet fucking, you know, Jerry or whatever his fucking name is. And he has no idea who I am. Not, not that I'm famous, but, like, he, he has no idea why his friends are even amused that I'm there. They're like, oh, you're Greg the Comedian from San Francisco. He's like, who the fuck are you? And why are you at my 40th birthday? At hogging up shit, right? So I'm like, hey, buddy, happy birthday, you know? And he's like, mm. And I go, this is fantastic down here. Did you do karaoke earlier? You know, there was some poster of him, and he's like, yeah, I performed earlier. And I was like, well, how'd it go, you know? And he was like, it went good, you know? And then he actually... And walked away. Exactly. I was like, ooh, snap. Who's got boys in Berry Jam all up in their thong, Right? Who's shit sticky with Barry? Uh, so it was fun, is what I'm saying. So I don't, I can't remember the name of the place, but when Jennifer reminds me, I'll, I'll tell you, and then we'll maybe we'll do it up there. Uh, that would be a fun place because, like I described it, I think you can already sense the fun. Uh, I went into the bathroom and the whole sink was full of rocks, and so you know, exactly it had an ancient cistern toilet with the hand. You know what I mean. And, and a sink full of rocks. And you went, I'm fucking starting to love this place a little bit. They're having events I don't understand. They sell shit I don't understand. There's a lending library that had maybe half as many books as you've got. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? It didn't have that many books. And some were arcane. Some were good. You know, they had the Communist Manifesto and whatnot. But they had like, you know, 
I, I can't like Angela Carr, John Fowles, you know. Exactly. Uh, it was fun. So if we ever go back there, if we ever get out of here. Um, so there, 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 when the, before that, we were in Bellevue, uh, Washington, and uh, I was there for the Blizzard weekend, and it was, it was very fun. Uh, I really like Seattle. I've been back to Seattle last weekend, and it was a much nicer weekend, but uh, they weren't ready for that fucking snow. And all I can think of every time I'm in the snow is what it would be like if it actually really snowed in Los Angeles. <laughs> not just for like an hour, and not just like it goes away in a day, but like a kind of Chicago, New York, like, oh, are you fucking joking me, Michigan kind of snow? <laughs> Because I remember being in Calgary a couple years ago and, and flying out, or, or even worse, I think I was in Regina, which is, of course, as you know, North America's most humorously named city. <laughs> and I'm going to Regina before we go to London, in fact. And, uh, and, of course, it was pouring snow. I don't know how you described it. It was falling snow. Does snow pour? Snow comes out like a giant shaker. And then when it really comes out, it's like horrible, like sleet. But when it's just streaming down, streaming. It was streaming snow. And uh, uh, as you know, each individual snowflake pretends to have its own identity. <laughs> They're actually all the same. Uh, it's us that have different identities. <laughs> try not to identify the snowflake. Instead, try to realize that it is you yourself that must be the snowflake. That there is no snowflake. There is no snowflake. And the snow was streaming down. And uh, I said to the driver nervously, his name wasn't nervously, I said nervously, <laughs> I said, comma, nervously to the driver, quote, uh, Jesus fuck. Uh, holy shitting fucking lizards that fly backwards in the night. What the fuck? Uh, are they going to be taken off? Because I'm having a... a a complete, you know, I'm giving birth to a, a litter of fucking, uh, you know, Amazonian reptiles back here. And he went, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> and, of course, we did. And then, but you go to other cities, like even Chicago or New York. In New York, it's wind, really, isn't it? It's never really the snow. If it's windy in New York, I was stuck at LaGuardia once for, like, seven hours. And the, really, the charm of LaGuardia is more of a one-hour affair. <laughs> That was, a, that was a long day. But uh, um, great travel story, Greg. <laughs> if L.A. had any amount of snow, first of all, it rained two drops yesterday. <laughs> By the time this goes out, it'll have been a week and a half ago. But right. it rained two drops yesterday, and you guys all drove yesterday because you all live here in Los Angeles, so you know what people acted like. As if the Book of Revelations had just <laughs> commenced... And that any pausing for caution of any kind because of the slickness of the ground turned you into uh, a, 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 basically a giant concrete block that was keeping the person behind you from getting where they needed to go. And they had to lay on the fucking horn and swerve around you on the right, like skittering. No? Okay. So you guys had a smooth-ass fucking commute yesterday and everyone was cool, but apparently Greg Proops is an asshole magnet who... One drop of moisture sends every asshole spiraling toward him. If I, if I do a show in Chicago or Calgary, wherever, and it's pouring snow and the streets are icy fucking, people come out in the numbers and drink all fucking night long. If two drops of rain fall in L.A., people go, oh, I'm not going out tonight. Man. 
It's just fucking shitty is all it is. And hilarious. Uh, I'm, I thought we get, might get into something funny like uh, Syria. Uh, it's been a big week for Syria. Uh, and, and really the shit's hitting the fan. And you know the shit's already been hitting the fan for months and months and months. Ever since last year, what, April? But uh, you know it's hitting the fan because um, American news is finally starting to show it. When, you, if you, when it gets to the, the KTLA, KTLA, for those of you out in the world listening in Proopcast land, is the morning news here on Channel 5. And it's the show busiest, most awesome news in all of L.A. Now, that I know you're really going to say good day, L.A., right? With Jillian, with that, because that one's just off the fucking deep. That one's off the deep end shallow. Like, there's no expressing the shallowness of good day, L.A. Good day, L.A. is like, is like going with the Kardashians to their colorist and then stopping for like, uh, um, uh, I don't know, a mochaccino on the way. But then you go to the tea leaf because our friend is Jewish. Instead of going to Starbucks, it's that shallow. Uh, it is really shallow. It's like going to Lululemon and trying on um, yoga pants, but not making a decision. It's that shallow. It's like standing in line at Sprinkles till the last minute and then going, I can't have any more carbs. My doctor said I have a gluten intolerance. It's that shallow. Uh, the KTLA news is like uh, this shallow. It's like, uh, is that George Clooney? Oh, no. <laughs> when you're standing on Robertson, it's that shallow. Uh, but KTLA is pretty goddamn shallow. So when they start showing fucking... Channel 13 here, KCOP, a couple of years ago, also an enormously shallow Los Angeles station, uh, used to have a slogan at night for their nighttime news, Get your news on. <laughs> that, I've never forgotten how good that was. God, I've never forgotten how good that was. I wish they'd bring it back. It's just so, I mean, if you guys ever watch BBC, excuse me, BBC News or Al-Qaeda News, Al-Qaeda News. <laughs> what channel are you watching, Greg? I get my own special channel. It's the Ib- Ibn Saud Proops channel. It comes in in a very special... It's not Time Warner, I'll tell you that. Oh, man. If you watch Al Jazeera, which they show on uh, at PBS here, and they, and they, or BBC, you know, you, you know what news is like. Or even CBC. They used to show CBC on some of the cable here. Peter Mansfield on the CBC. Peter Mansbridge comes on and he goes, oh, Good evening, this is the news. Oh, today in uh, Ottawa, many decisions were made by the parliament. And, uh, and now we go to the international news in Syria. About al-Assad, is uh, leading his army troops against the... Yeah, right? Yeah. News, news. Someone calm talking about stuff, some of which contains facts. <laughs> Not, get your news out! <laughs> There's a video of two girls going like this in bikinis, and they go, we don't know what's going on, but it's gonna be hot. We'll be back at 11. That's what the KTLA morning use. They'll just show a cake and they'll play, I'm coming up because you better. And you're like, what the fuck? That's news? Oh, my God. If, if a news program has a live person in a helicopter with a camera on them, then you know the level of news you're at. Because KTLA morning news has a girl. Yeah. And, right, and a surf report. A surf report. Dude, it is going to be gnarly today. <laughs> You never really turn on the BBC and they go, beep, beep, beep. Good evening, this is the news. I'm hoping you're going to get your news on with us. 
in, in Afghanistan today, it was all the way live. Yeah. This shit is off the hizzy. And now we're going to throw to Gail, who's in a car park in Scunthorpe. It's fucking mayhem here, Nigel. Mayhem. It's, it's a sausage cook-off. And they're, they're having mash as well. Yeah, it's, it's not quite like that. Uh, so, yes. That's so sad. One, that it's my phone, and two, that my phone plays the theme song to my show. That is just sad. I have to switch it back to what it used to be. Hi, I'm Greg Proof. Exactly. I announce myself as I answer the phone. I've got to go back to my old um, uh, answering machine one. Uh, I, I think I love you by the Partridge family. Thank you. That was for nobody. Um, so Siri has been uh, on the news this week, and I think I have to explain it a little bit because I don't think everybody's down with this. Maybe, maybe you guys, I assume how bright everyone is always, but then I'll say Siri to someone and they'll just look at me and they'll be like, mm, and you think, I know what you think. It comes in a log cabin and it's good on flapjacks. Uh, it started last March, right? The president is named Assad. Let's just get those two. Well, president. Uh, the dictator is named Assad. His father was also named Assad. He is a doctor from, uh, he studied in Britain. He's a full-on doctor. Uh, uh, from the beginning, he's blamed uh, the unrest on foreign, uh, on, you know, sources and for the uh, agitators from the outside. The Arab League has denied him. Uh, many countries that you wouldn't have thought have laid into him. In the last week, what's happened, uh, and, the, and of course they've been shooting people and detaining people. We talked about this in goddamn July of last year, what the word detain means when you, we're talking about Syrian government. Detain means put you underground in a cell or bury you up to your neck or boil you or hang you upside down or disappear you. Um, right this week, uh, the, the, we're speaking, and it'll be probably done by the time we're done talking, um, they're bombing uh, and shelling the town of... It's, it's pronounced Holmes, which is hilarious, but it's H-O-M-S, Holmes, in uh, Syria, because it's a stronghold of, of sedition and rebellion there. Uh, but why aren't they bombing Aleppo and Damascus? Well, they did a little bit, but Holmes they're really laying down on. And um, uh, the, the reason is, it, it, you know, they want to keep control. Uh, they've watched what happened in Tunisia. They've watched what happened in the Yemen, uh, Egypt, and, and it scares the shit out of them. Um, uh, whose side are they on? Mm, difficult to say. Our side, too. Uh, you notice Obama finally said something about a week ago and went, Syria's bad because I deserve a second term. Uh, but uh, the... the uh, it's, it's, it, they've had a state of emergency there for some 20 years or whatever. Now, this week they had a U.N. resolution where they were going to condemn Syria. Now, what U.N. resolutions can lead to is things like, I don't know if you remember that awesome war that we just beat Libya in. Uh, and now we're free from Libyan oppression. Uh, a lot of times when I'm driving around L.A. thinking about going to the In-N-Out Burger or whatever, I'll think, fuck, I'd go. But that goddamn Gaddafi uh, has been such a cock block to me and all the things I've wanted to do in my life. When are they going to fucking go after them? Well, they did and they got him. So hooray for us. Uh, which means they could do the same kind of thing in Syria. Except, one, they fucking won't. And two, they're not going to. So, um, but why aren't they going to? Because they don't want to fight the fucking Syrian army in the streets. Or the Ruskies, right? And that is exactly what I'm getting to. The, the UN resolution was vetoed by the Chinese and the Russians. Because as you know, Russia and China, Russia is a democracy. Because I've, you've been following the voting there. Uh, so you can see that it's an old-fashioned democracy. And China, I don't know what China is. China's just great fun. 
It's important as we vault forward into the 20th century that one country maintain its staunch 12th century stance. And China is that country, so we can look to them uh, if you ever want to see people beheaded or clitorectomies or dolphins floating belly up through a fucking pool of poison while children march in unison. Uh, You can look to China and go, it's all happening there. That is some good bok choy cloud hanging over Beijing. Um, in any case, uh, China and Russia said no, and so and, and God said what, and uh, we said you can do what you want, China. But uh, the, the, here, here's here's what I wanted to actually get to here. They're on the verge of a civil war. They're saying a government in exile was formed, the Syrian National Council. I have no idea where they're residing. Uh, I presume in one of the other Arab states that's more. Uh, friendly to the revolution. Uh, the conflict is complicated by serious ethnic division. The Assads, uh, the ruling family, much of the nation's elite, especially the military, belong to the Alawite sect, a small minority in a mostly Sunni country. Well, I'm confused. So if I'm confused and I'm the smartest man in the world, you're laying in a pile of dust behind me trying to decide what the fuck's happening. Uh, I'm joking, of course, but I thought I'd break it down a little bit because no one ever fucking does on the news. We hear the words uh, Alawite and Druze and Sunni and Shia, and no one ever tells you what the fuck is fucking... Why? why? Uh, Sunni and Shia Islam are the two major denominations of Islam. The demographic breakdown between the two denominations is difficult to assess and varies by source, sure. Uh, But a good approximation is 80 to 90% of the world's Muslims are Sunni. Now do you follow? But what happened in Iraq, right? Uh, Most Shias... um, Sunnis are a majority in most Muslim communities. Southeast Asia, China, South Asia, Africa. Yes, uh, you're saying Southeast Asia and China. Yeah, there's zillions of Muslims in China uh, in all the mountain areas. Also, uh, South Asia, heavily Muslim. And, of course, all of Indonesia, which has gajillions of people. Africa has many Muslim areas. Uh, the Sudan, of course, uh, famous amongst them. I think you'll find the entire north of Africa. And most of the Arab world. Uh, they make up... Shia make up the majority of the population in Iran, Iraq, Azerbaijan, and Bahrain. Well, Azerbaijan and Bahrain are dinkier. Bahrain is very dinky indeed, although they claim to have the tree of fucking knowledge there that Eve saw, which I love. Uh, I've been to Bahrain, and uh, good, no pay, good exposure. <laughs> uh, and Iraqis and Iranians are largely, uh, as you can see, Shia, which makes them in the minority, you see. And uh, Saddam Hussein... Uh, was a Sunni and a Shia, blah, blah, blah. So now you follow. Okay, so I just wanted to go into that. I don't know why. It just struck me today. When they kept saying Alawite on the radio today, I was like, that is fucking confusing. And an Alawite sect is within them. And, but what's the difference between Sunnis and Shiites? Uh, I am not a theologian. It goes back so far to the beginning of Islam to who succeeds Muhammad as the prophet and the right-wise prophet, right? There's one group with the, was it the father-in-law, the other group's the grandson, you know, okay, it's complicated, so we're going to stop there. What I wanted to get at was um, somewhere around uh, the UN stopped tallying deaths in Syria after they passed 5,400 in January, saying they were too difficult to confirm accurately. Well, we're letting this go on and on and on, uh, even though we're America and stuff. And uh, if you ever wondered uh, if the UN is a, a useful tool, it's a tool, um, it's not being that useful right now because the Security Council uh, is all the big boys, right? It's still and Russia. It's uh, it's still the big boys, and and that's who votes down on all this shit. Let's get to the happy news. Anyway, say a prayer for the people of Homs, and uh, you know we have a lot to worry about, but. Uh, I, th- 
the Arab Spring is, is something that's not going to go away. And this is the next giant fucking domino in this enormous chain. I never thought Egypt would happen as quickly as it did. And Syria is taking a long time. But you can see the fucking writing on the wall, as Daniel once said when he was in a fucking cave in Syria. Uh, or was he in Iraq? Wherever he was, it was close enough for fucking Bible stories and politics. Um, in any case, uh, the, the appeals court in San Francisco struck down uh, Proposition 8 here in California this week, which is a very exciting yeah. moment. Uh, a two-to-one decision. It's a three-judge panel. Uh, they couldn't uh, deprive gay couples of their rights to marry. Proposition's only purpose was, quote, to lessen the status and human dignity of gays and lesbians in California. Proponents of the measure approved by 52% of the voters in 2008 after the Supreme Court legalized gay marriage, said they will continue their court battle to reinstate the law and hope to win in the U.S. Supreme Court. Well, California Supreme Court said gays could get married. Then, as you recall, what happened here in California was out of state... I sound like Assad right now. People who came from out of this state to agitate. Uh, um, A lot of different people gave money uh, to defeat... uh, to, to get Proposition 8 passed. And 52% of the votes is not, uh, as you would, uh, I think you might call that a simple majority, if you were a person who followed any kind of uh, civics. Just above a simple majority. Um, so uh, the will of the people, I wouldn't exactly call it. Um, in any case, Brian Raum, an attorney for proponents and, service and ser- senior counsel at the legal group Alliance Defense Fund, their uh, anti-gay marriage, said, we are not surprised that this Hollywood-orchestrated attack on marriage tried in San Francisco turned out this way. Talk about shoehorning your fucking talking points into a sentence where they have no... I mean, honestly, Hollywood-orchestrated attack? Um, It was a case brought in front of the appeals court. I don't remember um, Andy Dick fucking speaking in front of the... Yeah. Really? Um, Hollywood can't orchestrate Hollywood right now. It's all disappearing. People don't even know what show business is anymore. Uh, much less orchestrated an, an attack on heterosexuality. And then, of course, tried in San Francisco. You know. Uh, it turned out this way, he says. But we are confident that the expressed will of the American people in favor of marriage will be upheld at the Supreme Court. Well, it wasn't the American people. It was a, a 52% of the people that voted in a 2008 election in California. So I don't know how that got extrapolated to the will of the American people, of which there are 300 and some million who did not fucking vote on this at all. So that's uh, uh, awesomely a lawyer. And this is my favorite part of reporting. An attorney for the proponents and senior counsel said in an email. He didn't even actually say it. He just emailed the fucking Chronicle, I guess, or uh, the LA Times, the Hollywood, yeah, the will of America. Let me tell you the fucking will of America. How do you know, Greg? Because I fucking know. I, I go to a lot of places. Most people, and by most, I mean 60 to 70% of everyone, are for women's rights, are for gay marriage. Don't give a fuck about anything unless they're left alone. A very well-organized small percentage of everyone want to fucking piss on everything else. And if anyone's having fun anywhere or doing something they want to do, they want to make sure that comes to a screeching fucking halt. Uh, most people don't want there to be a war all the time. They really don't. I mean, if, if you go around and talk to people at your work and shit and go, hey, do you wish there's a war all the time? They go, no. <laughs> but yeah, we have a small group. Uh, in any case, I wanted to get to this part here because um, this part's just sh- a little bit shocking. Um, they're going to try to take it to the Supreme Court and they're doing all this legal stuff. Um, the, the Solicitor General, who was under uh, 
uh, Republican President Ronald Reagan. His name is Mr. Fried, Charles Fried. Um, there, when it gets to the Supreme Court, it could be a split decision, as you know, because as you know, the Supreme Court is utterly divided along ideological lines. They always talk about people legislating from the bench. The Supreme Court is the most perfect example of people legislating from the bench because with Scalia and Roberts, uh, um, Scanuto and fucking Thomas, uh, you know, they've got a little cabal going. So here's the deal. Uh, the result is that opponents of gay marriage could keep the issue alive forever. Right? So it could get to the Supreme Court and what they could adjudicate was that it applies only to the California referendum at issue. Right? So they could adjudicate on it, but say, oh yeah, well, according to that election, it either stands or doesn't stand. Not that it's the law of the land, not that everybody can do it, not that it's even constitutional at that point or whatever. Um, and then that reminded me of something, because uh, the Supreme Court could keep it going forever, right? The opponents of it could keep it going forever. Because this is Black History Month, and I've waited far too long in the show uh, to get to my awesome... Black history quotes. Uh, Thurgood Marshall, who I think is one of the most admirable people that ever lived in this country, um, a graduate of Lincoln. If, for, if you don't know who he was, he was a, a justice on the Supreme Court. He was not Supreme Court. Uh, he wasn't chief justice, but he was a justice for uh, ages and ages. He was appointed uh, in 67 to the Supreme Court, and he was sat for at least 20, 25 years. He um, was a lawyer for the NAACP. He was the chief of the NAACP, Legal Defense and Educational Fund. He argued uh, Arkansas, uh, Brown versus the Arkansas Board of Education in 57 with the Supreme Court. He was appointed to the Court of Appeals in 61, Solicitor General in 65, appointed to the Supreme Court in 67. He gave a speech in 87 at the, history, uh, at the anniversary of the Constitution, that document written by white guys with wigs. Uh, I cannot accept this invitation for I do not believe the meaning of the Constitution was forever fixed at the Philadelphia Convention, nor do I find the wisdom, foresight, and sense of justice exhibited by the form, for, for framers particularly profound. Uh, to the contrary, and the government they devised was defective from the start. Now, you can say this to people and they lose their shit because you hear on the news all the time original intent of the framers of the Constitution. You hear all the time activist judges. We've got to get activist judges off the bench. Well, the judges on the Supreme Court, believe me, are activist judges, right? Uh, they're pushing an agenda forward. And secondly, the, the intention of the people who wrote the Constitution was to have slavery and never let anyone fucking vote unless they owned land. So this is one of the great legal minds in the history of our country who fought for a desegregation. By the way, he was black. Uh, let's see here. What he says, uh, not particularly profound and defective from the start. Uh, how so defective? Requiring several amendments, a civil war, and momentous social transformation to attain the system of constitutional government and its respect for the individual freedom and human rights we hold as fundamental today. When a contemporary American cite the Constitution, they invoked a concept that's vastly different from what the framers barely began to construct two centuries ago. No one ever fucking tells you that because they're always doing what they meant was this. Believe me, Thomas Jefferson hadn't considered gay marriage. He knew gay people and there were gay people in his world, but he didn't go fucking one day they're going to get married and we need to account for that in this fucking document that we're writing here. Uh, and and uh, I think the undersung line, the understated line uh, that got no reaction from you in your absolute profound boredom at this state uh, was... <laughs> Uh, re requiring several amendments, a civil war. 
When your constitution requires a civil war that costs the lives of countless millions of people, um, maybe you should stop talking about how fucking strong a document it is and start talking about how elastic a document it is. Because elasticity in the end is what, make it, what will make it survive. Mm. If it's a rigid fucking document that only white people can understand and dig, then fuck you. <laughs> and fuck your country. And fuck keeping it, I guess. Uh, so, uh, Rick Santorum uh, won the... the, the um... Oh, yeah, no. It's not all fun and games. Rick Santorum uh, uh, was in the uh, primaries uh, the night before, and they weren't really primaries. Let me explain that to you. I know you're bumming because you've had to hear what, what a big winner he is today in the media. Rick Santorum, I'm going to get First of all, he received no delegates. I don't understand how the delegate process works. Don't worry, no one does. Uh, those were caucuses that he won. Caucuses are people in a room. They had a very low voter turnout. So in other words, a lot of disgruntled people showed up for those very little things at little meetings, and that was their voice, was to vote for, vote for Rick Santorum, because and I think you can understand this no matter what point of view you come from, they find Ginrich too crazy and Romney too watery-assed, right? So Santorum to them seems like a dude who has a dick. It might be pointed at the fucking devil all the time, but he has one. So I went to his... um, uh, I went to his... Oh, and Washington State today voted in the legislature, and the the governor of Washington is going to sign it. This was just uh, fresh off the fucking press here. Um... The governor of uh, Washington is, is expected to sign the bill that they're going to have gay marriage in Washington State, but we don't have it in California. Uh, I went to the Rick Santorum for President website today, which I suggest you go to and, and ed- educate yourself against the coming storm. Uh, reigning in spending, uh, promoting freedom and uh, restoring America's greatness, promoting freedom and opportunity. Yeah. Reigning in spending and reforming government entitlements, blah, blah, blah. This was his, these are his economic proposals. I just wanted to read you a couple of them because they're so good. Uh, eliminate funding for Planned Parenthood and use half the dollars to support adoption instead. Yay. Yeah. Kidding. I know. I know you are. Uh, eliminate funding for the implementation of the Dodd-Frank regulatory burdens. Eliminate funding for the implementation of Obamacare. <laughs> Eliminate. This is how he's going to balance the budget, you guys. There's also a balanced budget amendment here. By the way, I read through his entire uh, spending platform. Nothing is said about making uh, any of the giant corporations that get insane tax breaks. Nothing is said about reducing. He wants to freeze defense spending, which right on. But how about rolling back defense spending? Um, how about let's not have defense spending? Let's be defenseless. Well, the world's dangerous. Mm, kind of. Um, eliminate cut funding for the National Labor Relations Board for the decision preventing airplane factory in South Carolina. Elimin- oh, he's specific. Eliminate funding for United Nations agencies which oppose American interests and promote abortion and cut the U.S. contribution to the U.N. in half. His platform's awesome. <laughs> Uh, I've only picked some choice ones out. There's many other. Phase out Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac within five years. Oh, yeah. Uh, Good times. Uh, I love uh, making a statement by voting for him in this and then keeping his campaign alive because I think, as we have stated before on the Proopcast here, um, it will be a cold motherfucking day in San Diego when when Rick Santorum is sworn in as president of the United States. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but they want all this to be, you know, they, the media wants us to go, he won three elections! Yeah. 
You mean 15 people in a room in Colorado that hate the black guy got together and over coffee decided to vote for the freak out dude so they'd send a message to Romney to push him to the right? Oh, why didn't you say that? Ginrich, uh, of course, took it in the uh, old cadoodle or the old centaurum, if you will. His man muffin certainly felt the brusque uh, thrust of the bottle brush that is Rick Santorum's victory lunge. Ginrich said uh, when he lost, part of our purpose, he's, he was banging on Obama again, part of our purpose in running, please explain what your purpose in running is, newt, newt. Part of our purpose in running is economic to get us back on the right track. Well, you're certainly the one to do it. Part of the purpose in running is culture. Mm, let's go back to code and how we always talk about code. When we say culture, what we mean is this. About this Black History Month. (laughs) The next thing you know, women are going to want to talk whenever they want to. (laughs) To protect the rights of Americans to worship freely. I'm sorry, was that being abridged in some way? You you don't mean Muslims, the ability to put up a mosque near 9-11, which wasn't even a fucking mosque and wasn't really near the fucking ground zero. You don't mean like that, do you? Oh, no, you mean religion. I'm sorry, I thought I'm, you meant everybody. Uh, without being dictated to by their government. And part of our purpose is running is national security because it's been going so poorly. Um, he added, we live in a dangerous world. So... Because we live in a dangerous world and we have kill squads and we went to Somalia and got rid of, you know, debriefed those fucking people who were clearly spies. Uh, there were also people kidnapped uh, last week by Bedouins. And I don't know if anyone read this item on the Gawker uh, because I want to address Newt Ginrich talking about what a dangerous world it is. The headline is the nicest kidnappers ever serve tea and dried fruit. If you're going to get kidnapped, do your best to get kidnapped by these guys. An armed group of Bedouin tribesmen held two California women captive for a few hours, during which time they served up food and good conversation. (laughs) Their kidnappers gave them tea and dried fruit and talked about religion and tribal rights. The California women were allowed to bring their tour guide with them. (laughs) They, They kidnapped the women but went, bring the guide. One of them even put out a cigarette in the car when the hostage said the smoke was bothering her. <laughs> Fucking Newt Ginrich's right. This world is dangerous. You never know when someone's going to give you tea and put their smoke out. You fucking do not know that. And it can happen like that, and it can change everything. I love how we're still trying to sell that it's a dangerous world and that... So therefore, what? A dangerous world doesn't mean that we're going to go in and make it safer. It's a dangerous world for the people of homes this week in Syria. About that, we're going to do fuck nothing. Because Syria is not going to crack out their oil and they don't have the reserves we want. Um, it's a dangerous world for the people in Egypt who are still being wiped out by their army. It's a dangerous world for women who can't walk down the fucking street without a guy going, show us your tits and shit every goddamn night, everywhere, all over the fucking world. What he means by dangerous world is I want to make sure that you take your shoes off and can't bring water on a plane till the end of fucking time and that we all go through the same rote, charade, cookie-cutter bullshit nonsense that gives everyone the same importance as the head of Al-Qaeda who broadcasts to my house directly. Uh, I have friends who are... Yeah. Unbelievable. So one of the women who was kidnapped was from Union City uh, up in the Bay Area. All of this is an unforgettable memory. (laughs) A 63-year-old nurse from Union City said... She told the Associated Press, maybe God had a purpose for this. It was probably to encourage more faith in me. 
The kidnapper stopped, made a fire for the women to stay warm, and made the women coffee. But Ganal does not drink coffee, the other kidnappee. So they made me tea, she said. The women were also served pita bread, dates, and other dried fruit. Fuck, you could get laid on a night like that. <laughs> Do you mind putting that out? For you? Okay. <laughs> Nurses are so understanding and caring. Oh, you don't drink coffee? I have mint tea. Here we call it the whiskey of the desert. Because like your eyes, it, it's intoxicating. Here, have a date. Uh-huh. Fucking A. Everybody wants to be kidnapped like that. It's like Rudolph Valentino and the Sheik. How much time have we got? Have we done a million years? Oh, are we? Kittens McTavish. All right, a couple of Black History uh, um, moments here. Uh, because it is Black History Month. As you know, on this show, it's always Black History Month. If, if there's anyone who talks about fucking Satchel Page and Sojourner Truth more than I do on Henry Aaron, we've had, the, we've had a whole Doc Ellis episode, for fuck's sake, Vita Blue. Um, uh, not that I'm obsessed or anything. But, of course, it's also... Uh, um, uh, Black History Month, and, and then there was a joke. It was on the Arizona of, of, uh, Assembly floor t- two days ago. Uh, there was a Latino speaker up talking about how they should have a Latino cultural month, and one of the white uh, assembly, or I think might have been a congressman in Arizona, got up and went, why don't we have a, a month celebrating white history? And it was duly reported on all the things. He said he was making a joke. But the point is that white people never understand is that every month is white history month. And that every day is male history day, okay? Just so you understand that where I'm coming from. When you read a history book, it it is, of course, a book, and it is, of course, got paper and shit like that. Now, after that, let's talk about who wrote it. Was it a a man? Oh, mostly. Was it a white man? Oh, most certainly. So, what was their perspective? Well, that would be the perspective of a white man. Uh, So, therefore, you're saying all history is written from a white man's perspective? Not all history, just 99.5% of it that we're presented with. You know, when you talk about, like, the privilege of being a man, men don't even know they're privileged. That's how privileged they are. And white people have no idea how privileged they are. That's how privileged they are. But some white people are poor. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking to you. When people are separating their plastic bags from their paper bags, that's not a poor people concern. Let me just put it that way. When you're mad at someone because they wore a fur and that was mean to a fox, only someone with money and privilege can, can hold that position in their mind. I'm not saying that they, everyone should be cruel to animals or anything like that. I'm saying anyone can be kind. But I'm saying that if you're poor and you make a lot of money and you want to buy a fur coat, why should I have to listen to a douchebag white middle class asshole like you tell me that's a fucked up thing to do? <laughs> but I never thought of it that way. No, you fucking didn't. Because you're white in privilege and shit. But aren't you? To be sure. That's why we're talking about this. I am one of the white and privileged along with you. And I am a man with an enormous fucking position. Uh, so Black History Month often is a down to Ralph Bunch and Dr. Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and blah, blah, blah. Where are the women? So black historians, uh, women historians, uh, are, have their own page too. If you go to Ms. Magazine this month, there's lots of articles about Black History Month. And uh, uh, this one um, was written by, yes, I said it, uh, 
black women took an active role in, in assisting the Union military in winning the Civil War. Uh, well, of course, we've all heard of Harriet Tubman, but there was lots more. Uh, a story appeared in the Northern Journal Harper's Weekly in 64, 1864, how Southern blacks were assisting Union soldiers. An illustration featured a black woman hiding ragged injured Union soldiers. Northern assertions were joined by those of Confederate General Robert E. Lee. You may have heard of him. He was the Supreme Commander of the Army of Virginia, uh, the Confederate Army, who declared that Southern blacks were, quote, the chief source of information to the enemy, the enemy being the Union. Uh, Southern women were operating as spies, scouts, couriers, guides, and were willing and able to offer enormous support to Union military personnel and operations with a deep devotion to a war which they pushed to be one of emancipation and often relying upon Southern prejudices which ignored the intelligence. Hello. Thank you, buddy. So close to the end and yet a giant... We're hoping it's a glass of vodka. <laughs> Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Um, Harriet Tubman uh, returned to the South. She was a slave early in the war to assist liberated slaves in Port Royal, South Carolina. In 1863, serving as a scout for the Union, she would don disguises and lead local blacks in dangerous missions behind enemy lines to gather information on rebel troop location, movements, and strength. She even accompanied, and by some accounts led... Troops under Colonel James Montgomery in daring raids into enemy territory, which destroyed thousands of dollars worth of, worth of southern property and liberated hundreds of blacks from plantations. Mm. Funny that Shelby Foote didn't mention that in that Civil War documentary. <laughs> Must have slipped his mind. Aren't you being a little harsh, Greg? Isn't Shelby Foote entitled to his opinion? That Nathan Bedford Forrest, the founder of the Klan, was one of two geniuses of the war? Of course he's entitled to that opinion. And I'm entitled to the opinion that badasses like Harriet Tubman kick his dick around the room with their fucking big black ass. How about that? <laughs> Finally, there was Mary Tubistry, a free black woman working for a Confederate engineer in North uh, Virginia, who overheard plans, I almost said planes, because this is the Kardashian Civil War. <laughs> How come they just didn't use planes to get away? <laughs> the Civil War as taught in the L.A. public school system. Okay, for reals. So this guy was like texting, right? But it went like this. Beep, 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 beep. Uh, who overheard plans for building the CSS Virginia after obtaining a copy of the plan? She daringly, this woman's overusing the word daring. Daringly crossed enemy lines to take this information to the Secretary of the Navy, Gideon Wells, which caused the Union to crank up construction of its own ironclad warship, the Monitor. Uh, the, spies were, the brave exploits of these women were mostly forgotten. Hmm. Uh, there's a sentence in here I wanted to get to. There's a whole other thing about the Red Tails. I'm going to get to it in the next um, proofcast. We have no time for it today. But let me just put it this way here. Uh, this woman is a very uh, well-spoken, well-written historian named Janelle Hobson. Um, she's a cultural critic and associate professor of women's studies at the State University of New York at Albany. She wrote Venus in the Dark, Blackness and Beauty in Popular Culture, and is at present at work in a sen uh, second book, uh, Mediating Race, blah, blah, blah. In any case, she said this, I survive daily conditions that constantly threaten to undermine my sense of self as a black woman, and I thrive with my spirit intact because I know where I come from and I know where I'm going. I walk the steady path ahead because I'm being led by ancestral spirits. I know other worlds are possible and other strategies of resistance are effective. Other worlds besides the one that's a dangerous one, where the government shouldn't impringe on our religious beliefs and we should have freedom and stuff like that, and we should get out of the UN because they support abortion. Uh, those are the other worlds I think we're talking about here. 
Uh, am I put, I'm putting words in her mouth. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, I have an agenda too, bitches. Because uh, Harriet Tubman, Ida B. Wells, uh, Cecile Fetamans, the warrior women, the mothers, the homemakers, the laborers, the women of all sexual orientations, who resisted marriage, the educators, the leaders, and the artists, if we ever lose sight of our past, of how our past can guide us present and future as women, as people of color, as the colorized, as the marginalized, then we concede the power of history to others. The many histories without a capital H tell us we don't have to do so, that indeed we have always had the power to resist. If history matters to those in power, then it goes without saying just how much more it matters to the rest of us. And that's what I'm trying to get at. Uh, really, Greg, you are? It was a long, unfunny way to get at it. I'm just saying... Um, History's being made all around us all the goddamn time. And uh, you have to sort out what's going on and, and what's not going on uh, by watching the news and reading stuff. Um, it, it, it's important to remember, that's all. In 30 years' time, you, one of your children or someone's children's children might say to you, what happened in Syria in that big war when the revolution toppled Assad and they hung him upside down in the town square and there was that big fucking bloodbath and shit? And you go, I don't know, I don't fucking care. <laughs> Maybe you'll have something intelligent to say at that point. Uh, this, uh, the Super Bowl happened this week, and uh, as far as irrelevant events, it was one of the great ones. Uh, first of all, congratulations to, I guess. No, I'm just being a dick. New York beat my San Francisco 49ers, so uh, at least I guess it was an NFC team. For me, it was a great day, and here's why. Tom Brady was unhappy. Giselle Bunchen threw a fucking bitch fit. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, and, and the rapper MIA um, flipped off the camera. So how is it bad in any way, what happened on the day? Uh, Madonna tried to do a cartwheel, almost flipped over completely. I don't know if anyone saw that part. Uh, although I will say this, she put on a better show. I don't know if you remember the Britney Spears fucking uh, Aerosmith show of years back, or the Paul McCartney one of a few years ago, or even the Black Eyed PAs one of a couple, was that last year? Um, Madonna is, is better than the, the Black Eyed Peas, as you know, I love, because it's like nursery rhyme songs, like, they, <laughs> little boy blue, you're in the corn, put in your horn, you know, like all their songs are hilariously, you know, Mary, Mary, quite contrary, how does your garden grow, you know, and then somehow they're down and shit. Um, <laughs> They think they're 2000 and great. I think they're 2000 and late. That's all I'm saying about the Black Eyed Peas. They have that weird, untrammeled energy of a seventh grade dance class that's giving a recital that hasn't really been choreographed properly and is just flinging themselves all over the fucking place, combined with unbelievably banal lyrics that a five-year-old would hum to themselves and then fucking throw away and go, no, I got got to write a paper for K2 this afternoon. <laughs> And they steal, you know, whatever. I know they're great. Everybody loves them. But Madonna was better than that. Although, some of the lyrics, she cracked out a couple of, she did uh, Respect Yourself with a Goody. But then she did Music, which has always been one that has the most specious music. Remember that one? <laughs> Makes the bourgeoisie and the rebel. Makes the bourgeoisie and the rebel. I, I don't mean to disagree with you, Madonna. It doesn't actually make the bourgeoisie and the rebel. I, I'm not certain where you're going with that one. And then what was it? Makes, makes the people come together. That one I just always... Hey, Mr. DJ. She did an interview after that album came out where she said, I'm proud of my lyrics. And I was like... You shouldn't say that then. 
if I wrote music makes the bourgeoisie and the rebel, I wouldn't be that proud. I would... uh, yeah. So uh, anyway, MIA during the middle of it. They, uh, you know what? I, I don't know if anybody watched fucking Super Bowl or even the halftime show. I watched the halftime show. Uh, uh, I, I had to watch it twice to catch her flip the bird. I mean, I thought it was going to be like the Janet Jackson one. As everybody recalls, her bizarre, pansexual, cocoa-colored fucking nippy sent this country into a tailspin. And a million people who were apparently watching the game, the Super Bowl, uh, with a Bible and their cock spread out across it in their computer. And at the moment of Janet Jackson's bizarre, pansexual, fucking pop star nipple, they slammed the Bible on their cock and then sent off a thousand jillion emails to the network. And <coughs> remember America was torn asunder because the moral fiber of this country is so fucking paper thin that the sight of one pansexual pop star's, you know, cocoa-colored nipple will send this country into an absolute fucking abyss, right? Well, the same thing happened, uh, mostly because it was a black girl, uh, and she went like this, and everybody knows that everybody goes like this, and the, the reaction was just kind of hilarious. I, the fact that I had to watch it twice to see her do it was like, that's an ineffective bird, <laughs> is what that is. That's a ptarmigan, you know what I mean? That, that bird's not taking flight at any point. Uh, yeah. Um, here it is. An American television network, and I love British reporting. This is from the BBC. An American television network, as if British readers are going to become absolutely perplexed if they said fucking NBC. <laughs> They're going to go, well, what is it? What's he on about? Which network? It's just a, it's an acronym. I don't understand it. <laughs> Music. Hey, Mr. DJ, shove it in your thing. I want to dance like a baby. Madonna's my age, and for that, I totally respect her doing a fucking cartwheel in fucking high heel boots. Because I couldn't do it. Uh, has apologized after pop star MIA extended her middle, middle finger during Sunday night Super Bowl. Sunday night. Uh, a, public, a public intellectual. Oh, yeah. Okay. Never mind, I made no sense of that. Here, this is the point of the article. What does the gesture mean and when did it become offensive? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Ancient Greek philosophers, Latin poets hoping to sell copies of their work, soldiers, athletes, pop stars, da 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 da. Desmond Morris, who wrote The Naked Ape once upon a time in the day, anthropologist Desmond Morris, it's one of the most ancient insult gestures known. The middle finger is the penis and the curled fingers on either side of the testicles. By doing it, you're offering someone a phallic gesture. It is saying, this is a phallus. I think that's a ginger scientific way of putting it. <laughs> if it means the penis, and it does, then it's like, take a bite out of this. As Prince once said, take a bite of my purple rock till we stop. Uh, British singer M.I.A. extended her finger during a performance of Madonna's Give Me All Your Lovin' L-U-V-I-N apostrophe. <laughs> Not to be confused with ZZ Top's Give Me All Your Lovin', which I believe was G-I-M-M-E, All Your L-O-V-I-N apostrophe. All Your Hugs and Kisses, too. I think it was ZZ Top who once said, You've got to whip it up. <laughs> Come on like a ton of love. Give me all your loving. That was during the video period when every girl in every ZZ Top video walked like this. No matter where they were going, they walked like that. And then when they crossed their legs, they Don't just to I prefer the 70s ZZ Top, where you couldn't understand them, yeah. 
You know the one I'm talking about. Fucking awesome. That was on the radio. You know what it did? You know what that song did? It made the bourgeoisie and the rebel. NB, the NFL and NBC television, which broadcast the game and the halftime show, apologized. Brian McCarthy, a spokesman for the NFL. By the way, the NFL is known for so many things. Uh, rapist players. Uh, unbelievable steroid use that's never been fucking talked about. Baseball had its ass kicked. Track and field had its ass kicked by fucking steroids. The NFL, you tell me those 300 fucking pound dudes who have acne. Oh, come on. Whatevs. Uh, and, and, uh, and a horrible lack of parody. Uh, really? New York and Boston again in the fucking Super Bowl? Barf. Begin barfing now. End barfing never. Uh, when, when the Tampa Bay Buccaneers win the fucking Super Bowl, then when the Kansas City Chiefs are in it again, then I'll believe. Uh, which broadcast the game. The obscene gesture is the performance was completely inappropriate. Unlike the mad amount of titties you get in every NFL game. Uh, those are always appropriate. Uh, and when they have uh, giant flyovers of, of uh, military planes, that's always appropriate at a sporting event. Uh, the gesture is widely known to Americans as flipping the bird. It's funny. I'm going to read it as Jeremy Irons to make this part better. The gesture is widely known to Americans as flipping the bird or just giving someone the finger. The Romans have their own name for it. Digitus Impudicus. <laughs> the shameless, indecent, or offensive finger. In the epigrammata of first century AD by the Latin poet Martial, a character who has always enjoyed good health extends a finger, the indecent one, at three doctors. The Roman historian Tacitus wrote that the German tribesmen gave the middle finger to advancing Roman soldiers. This one I've read a thousand times, and I never... Th this was one of the best lines um, in, in the entire story here. Uh... The French have their own phallic salute, says Desmond Morris. In performing the bras d'honneur, the arm of honor, one raises the forearm with the back of the hand facing outward while slapping or gripping the elbow with the other hand. Right? Uh, I didn't know it was called the bras d'honneur. Now I'm going to use it much more. We saw Johnny Depp in a drunk TMZ video do this one. I don't know what that one was. We call it the Depp now. He was so drunk he fell on the sidewalk. Did anyone see that TMZ video? And one of the fucking cameramen goes, You dropped Johnny! And so it's fucking good. Then they pour him into the car and he goes like this while he's sitting there. Like that. It's fucking it's very good. Uh, scholars and historians continue to debate. It's the British one. Now this is where I'm getting at. This is a British article. So this to British people, they know what it is, but it doesn't mean that much to them. Uh, and in France, if you count, right? Like if you, if you Americans, we go one, two, three, four, five, right? French people go one. They, they count with their thumb. One, two, three, four. So if you go, I want one, they're like, mm -hmm. uh, English people don't ever go like this. Two. 
<laughs> That's not a gesture you use in England. The two fingers outward like this is not a gesture. This means this in England, right? So if you went, I want two pints of beer, mate, to a barman, they'd go, well, fuck you, mate. Take your two pints and fuck off out the fucking duel, right? So you can't do that. If you're counting in England and you say, I want two of something, it has to be like this. If you ever turn it like this and go, I want two, the absolute gesture is this, right? That's what they, they really like to give it the both arms fucking like that, right? I mean, they do that one too and that one and shit, but this one's really the big one. The British gesture, the two-fingered V with the palm facing inward, I love that with the palm facing inward, is a double phallus, Mr. Morris quips. No, it's not. They're just contrary. Because the French do this, the English won't, well, fuck that. There's no other reason. Because everyone else does this. And then they, there's this bullshit explanation that they've been using for years. Uh, uh, Scott, first displayed at the Battle of Agincourt in 1415. Now, how would you one fucking, okay, fine. There, again, history. There, there English soldiers led by a black woman in a daring raid. <laughs> Wave their fingers at French soldiers who had threatened to cut off captured archers' first two fingers to prevent them shooting arrows, right? So the English were boasting they could still shoot arrows because uh, the French army of the Middle Ages was uh, largely armored and couldn't get around. The English army had mad archers who were not landed gentry, right? Knights fought knights in those days, which meant people with money and a crew, right? Because you're a knight. You're, you have to be lifted onto your horse. Which you have to be put in your armor and put on the fucking horse, given a lance, and fucking... Bo, go, 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 go. And you had money, right? So you're out there fucking... And then behind you is your page and your valet and your banneret and all your other fucking people who put the horse together and the armor and shit and are like, oh, I hope he fucking makes it. Turned into a Ricky Gervais sketch there. So... Uh, that supposedly, uh, but the English army had loads of archers, which were commoners. They were commoners, and the archers uh, had giant longbows. And when I say giant, I mean really big longbows, like five, six feet. So they could really launch. And when they all launched at once, it pierced armor, killed all the horses. So that's how they won Algin Court, right? Uh, isn't that which movie is it? Uh, which Shakespeare? I'm, now I'm beginning a complete Henry, retard. Five? Henry? Henry, the fifth. Henry five. We few. <laughs> we lucky few. We few. What have it been, Jeremy Irons? Better than. We lock if you. Uh, that's before the Battle of Agincourt. The middle finger's offensive meaning seems to have overtaken cultural, linguistic, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, where is it? There was a sentence in here that said, it was brought to America by Italians. And that's my favorite thing in the whole article. Because to me, that's just pure fucking racism on the... the fantastically... Uh, the Romans did you know, the Romans did this right sure Aristophanes puts it in the cloud about dactylic rhythm right that means your finger here it is ah the middle finger which Mr. Morris says probably arrived in the US with Italian immigrants <laughs> hey you know what I have to say to you Mr. Morris <laughs> bafangu Really? Really? It came with Italian immigrants? You've got to be kidding me. So all the groups that made it before the Italian immigrants, and by the way, the country's called America because of an Italian who came to the fucking hemisphere and shit. Columbus, anybody? Some Genoa and whatnot? Um, the, the Swedes, the Norwegians, the Poles, the Yukis, 
the Bohunks, the Gigas, the Hoo-Has, everyone who fucking came over here. The French were here. The English never went like this, that we had to wait for, hey. Really? A guy wearing a derby hat and a high fucking collar? Uh-huh. Um, you can, of course, get any of Desmond Morris' books on audiblepodcast.com. Uh, audible.com is a, uh, has millions and thousands of titles of books on tape. Well, they're not on tape, really. Not anymore. Although, I bet if you asked Audible, there's a big room full of tape. Probably reels and reels of it and stuff like that. And there's uh, dwarves working ceaselessly and spindling it from a gigantic spool that says Edison Company on the back of it. Um, you can download them into your MP3. If you go to audiblepodcast.com slash smartest, you can get one for free. Uh, and if you go on the website, gregproops.com, uh, you can click all sorts of things and have the time of your life. Um, yeah, uh, Italian was brought to America. Now I've lost the thing. Oh, there it was. Uh, was brought to America by Italian immigrants. Is documented in the U.S. as early as 1886 when a picture for the Boston Bean Eaters gave it in a joint team photograph with the rival New York Giants. Well, I've seen that photo, and it's awesome. The 1886 Bean Eaters are all going like this. <laughs> right? They've all got handlebar mustaches, those, those little beanie baseball caps with the stripes on them, the fucking full-on stockings and shit, and they're all, they're all named Mike. The whole team is named Mike. <laughs> and... You know how long it took to take that fucking photo? A guy had a blanket over his head and a huge pile of fucking... Nobody move! Perfect, fellas. Yeah, that, that, uh, that makes me happy. And, of course, uh, the Americans, when they were uh, captured, we, we were patrolling the waters off of North Korea. This is in the olden North Korea days. Uh, during Gerald Ford's administration in the, in the mid-70s, and there was a boat called the Mayaguez, and the North Koreans captured it and took a whole crew of Americans captive for uh, months, even, months. And uh, Gerald Ford had to negotiate for their release, and we got them back. <coughs> Excuse me. While the captives were under the um, commie North Koreans' brutal tutelage and imprisonment uh, in the uh, North Korean Huskow, uh, they were being, forever being photographed, debriefed, documented, stapled, spindled, and, you know, redacted. And um, while they would take pictures of them, in every picture, the American soldiers would go like this, or sailors would go like this. And the first Korean went, what are you doing? And he went, it's a good luck symbol. <laughs> so every picture of the American POWs from the entire Mayaguez incident is them flipping off the fucking camera. My favorite, well, you remember Britney did it. When Britney did it, it was like, whatever, you know. It was like when Britney would do something. <laughs> My favorite one is Johnny Cash, right? The Johnny Cash one from the 50s, because he is throwing it. The Lenny Bruce one is, is funny and cagey and fun, right? It's right in front of his face, and it's him being impish. There's a Mick Jagger one that I saw on the roll of the Hard Rock Cafe in Cleveland, Ohio, down near the men's room. He's clearly in a limo, and this is the pose. He's not looking at all at the camera. He's someone. He's registering someone clearly and just going, "Fuck you." And, and he's Mick Jagger, so you notice because he's the king of American blues, isn't going like this. He's not giving you the two-fingered Agincourt one. He's giving you the fucking Johnny Cash. Um, it, they. Someone at the end of the article says that it's it's not obscene anymore. It is. Uh, p 
throw it here in L.A. on the street and see where it gets you. I had a guy pull an aluminum bat out of his trunk and try to fucking kill me at a dry cleaner here because I flipped him off. We don't have time for any questions, so I'm going to do about half a dozen here. If you want to question me, it's smartestatespecialthing.com. Uh, and I do take questions. Oh, we have a lot this week. We'll keep some for next time. Um, let's see. I don't read these beforehand. Smartestatespecialthing.com if you wish to query me. Um, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Uh, Monsieur Proops. Yes? Monsieur... Mr. Hambone writes. That means Mr. Ham. Mr. Ham said to Mr. Proops, yes, Mr. Ham, why do people often feel the pop music they heard in their halcyon youth is the very best? Well, I think it's what you grow up with, isn't it? I mean, uh, I, I, my halcyon youth, I, I don't know that all of the music is good from them, um, as well as songs like, um, because it... Uh, as my wife and I were discussing, the best part of Black History Month is they play a lot of music by black people, and then it reminds you that white people have produced Billy Joel um, and Phil Collins and shit like that. You kind of, oh, mm, mm, mm. Look, Miles Davis, James Brown, Ray Charles, um, Randy Travis. Yeah. Uh, <coughs> Aside from Love Roller Coaster and music like that uh, that I really liked, um, there, there were songs like um, David Soul, Don't Give Up On Us Baby. And then I think you may remember a Hawaiian rock star named Andy Kim who did a little song that went, Rock me gently, rock me slowly. <laughs> it was an invitation that was easy to resist. <laughs> I have never been loved like this. Please don't love people. Don't use the word love as the physical act of love. It's icky. Uh, and uh, we had the Archies when I was a really little uh, kid, and they were quite good. Yeah, sugar, sugar. I think it's because you're little and you have no taste. I mean, like, or the taste that you develop when you're little is the taste that sticks with you forever. Like, for instance, my favorite TV shows really are still horribly. I mean, I have different ones that I like. Obviously, I like, you know, Dexter, Nurse Jackie, things that have played in the recent memory of man. But... I loved um, Star Trek and The Addams Family and um, Batman and The Avengers. And all of those shows are from when I was like seven to nine years old. And I, I don't know why, but like you can't – I will watch any time, any place, put on a Batman episode and I'll be like, me, 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 I'm good. <laughs> the, the Avengers with Diana Rigg? I mean, really? There's a better show? There's a better show? Sure there is. I'm, I'm sure someone must have made a better show. Not really, no. I don't know how to answer that. Uh, so I think with the pop music, like I did a pop music a comedy show here last night in Los Angeles at the Nerd Melt. A woman named Jazz Ponce puts a show called Shame On. And everybody had to pick shows, uh, shows, videos from their youth that were embarrassing. Well, my youth goes back to the 1850s. So there's no, there's no videos of Stephen Foster's, you know, Gwina Run All Died or whatever. So I couldn't show that. Uh, you know, Duda, Duda. Any, any song with the word massa in it, I think. Um, <laughs> so my youth was unfairly. Mo- the, the 1886 Boston Bean Eaters had some great hits. She's only a bird in a gilded cage, a beautiful sight to see. Um, the songs when I was little, 
Tarara boom die, tarara boom die. Oh my God, we do the teddy bear and the bunny hog and whatnot. Then came the first great war. Uh, they didn't have any videos of those songs, so I picked uh, "Be Near Me" by ABC. Because the video is so hilariously outlandish. She's wearing like a giant collar. They're a clown band at that point. They're not even the band. There's a bald Asian guy with giant glasses and there's like clearly a gay guy with a tan-tan haircut. And then there's a girl wearing a vintage dress and then Martin. And it's like, it's all over the fucking yard. And I love that song. <laughs> love that song beyond all fucking measure. So I played that one. And no one could make fun of it because they had to stand in breathless wonder <laughs> at how fucking great that song was. And uh, it goes like this. The message is perfectly simple. Yeah, it was the 80s. Uh, it's really good. All my dreams came true last night. Ah, see, he already knows it. See, that's how good it is. In tears, be near me. And then at the end, be near! Really good song. What's your destination? Nobody? Okay. <laughs> Ecstasy. <laughs> Next to me. Fucking good song. But the other, the other comics picked... Uh, uh, one picked everything. I would do anything for love. The meatloaf one where he's like a sewer dog or whatever. Beauty and the Beast kind of sewer dog looking dude. And then a girl comes and then he turns into a meatloaf at the end, which is utterly disappointing. Because... <laughs> He morphs from being a sewer dog with a weird, planed, buffy forehead, you know, buffy monster forehead to being meatloaf. And you're like, that's not like a huge Kmart fucking blue light special here at the end. We didn't, we didn't actually hit the heights with that one. Uh, and Michael Bay directed it, which made it good. So th there's a helicopter for no reason. Um, and then there was, uh, 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 what's that one? Kittens. It was, uh, they, they, they showed some, no, it was, uh, 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 Billy, one, an English guy showed Matt Kirshen, the English comic showed uh, Billy Joel's Uptown Girl. Oh. Yeah, and and again, people were stunned. No one even knew how to begin to make fun of it <laughs> because first of all, Billy Joel going like this and. Wow, wow, yeah, wearing a mechanic outfit, acting like the, the cast of Jersey Boys and whatnot. <laughs> All I got out of that video was Christy Brinkley was hot and is wearing the most egregious Zorro hat ever worn. Just a terrible Zorro hat. Any case, Jazz and one of the other cats picked, and one other kid played uh, Forever Young, which was hilarious, by Rod Stewart, which has Rod Stewart cradling a boy, a red-haired boy in his lap for a good deal of the video. If this was a, a, you know, a preschool here in L.A., that fucking video would have been closed and take your time anyway Jazz Ponce uh, who runs the show showed some Disney group called oh cock somebody here's 28 right the party the party they were called the party and they made three albums and she awesomely said she had a crush on the Italian guy in the party to give you an, to orient you to the party if you don't remember them Cisco was in the party <laughs> Who later inquired, if you may recall, uh, that he might view your thong. <laughs> over and over in a song. And let me see that thong. And then the unforgettable thong, th th thong, thong, th th thong, thong. 
Not since Longfellow. He was polite. You have to give in that. The other members of Drew Hill were brusque and peremptory. Cisco said, let me see that. Yeah. Thong, th- th- thong, thong. Th- th- thong, thong. Good song. Good thong. <laughs> She's like a little cricket singing in one of those Chinese imperial things that they used to keep crickets in. That's what Madonna sounds like in that song. I'm going to open this up. I want to dance with my baby. I think that's why. Anyway, she played The Party. And their last album, The Party, did three albums, apparently. Unbeknownst to me, because I believe I was in my 30s at the time. Uh, the, they they were a TV show on Disney and they were Disney, I guess, musketeers or some fucking thing. And Cisco was in them for no reason. They had an Asian girl. There was a girl, there was a person from every race and nationality. Uh, they stopped just short of having a, 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 an Eskimo in the group. And uh, yeah, no one had a narwhal tusk with them, but they were close. And the Italian guy rapped, and Cisco jumped up and down and whatnot. And uh, the Chinese, the Asian girl wore chains at one part. And I thought, this is pretty good for a kid's video. <laughs> when I was little, I don't remember Veronica from the Archies wearing fucking chains and laying on the ground that much. But if she did, the song Sugar Sugar would have had in- incredible import. No one even remembers what I'm talking about. Uh, in any case, the last party album was called The Party's Over. According to jazz, and the first three tracks didn't even have vocals. They were just laid down so you could fucking sing and remember the party. So she showed the party video, and she, I, I had to stop her at one point, and I said, may I ask a question at long fucking last? Have you no decency, sir? <laughs> I said, um, uh, are you aware that this is a Senate subcommittee? No. What I asked was this. <laughs> Do you know the man who stands before you? He is truth. No, no, it was another question. The question I asked was, I'm trying to run through a lot of famous questions, but apparently you're not familiar with them. So we're going to go to the unfamous question that I asked her, which was, how fucking old were you? Just hoping against hope she wasn't going to say like 16. Because who would watch the party, right? And she went, I was in grade school. And I was like, oh. So that's my answer to your question, Monsieur Hambone. It, why do people often feel the pop music they heard in their halcyon youth, although difficult to describe all youths as halcyon? Um, some people thought the party fucking threw down. Um, I, I grooved on a, uh, the Banana Splits when I was little. And I've sung the song The Banana Splits on this show before many times. And, of course, the song Doing the Banana Splits, which was written by Barry White since it's Black History Month. And I think uh, since the show's limping along to its inevitable conclusion here, it might be a, a perfect ju- juncture to uh, inject doing the banana splits into this um, proceedings because I feel that doing the banana splits is better than anything the party had to offer. Although I enjoyed the song Free by the party. And here, what'd you say? They better. The party, or the banana, banana splits. splits yeah. First of all, the banana splits had a, a small el- a shaggy elephant in their group. <laughs> now an Asian girl in chains, that's a winner. But a small shaggy element, a small shaggy elephant driving a, t- a tiny dune buggy I think you can see why my youth is more halcyon than yours. 
and their song went like this. Doing it, doing it, doing it, doing the banana special, which is a fucking good song. Uh, I think that's why, Monsieur Hambone. Uh, okay, thank you for that question. Uh, one last question, and then we're going to fuck off into the night. Marty asks, uh, yes, Marty? What do you want to do tonight, Marty? Uh, no, that was Patty Chayeski who asked that. El Jefe, he says. Oh, well, yes. Yes, my tiny, uh, tiny Spanish seedling. Uh, he called me the chief. Uh, Marty, yes, Marty. On February 8th, it's, surely it's February 8th. If I could see through these glasses, I could tell you what time it was. Uh, it is, is it February 8th? Yeah. Oh, well, happy birthday. <laughs> On February 8th, I turned 40 years old. What is the best part of getting older? Um, sagacity. <laughs> you know, I wasn't that sagacious when I was young. <laughs> I made myself delighted. And your disappointment in that answer has made me even more delighted. Uh... There's a there's a lot of downsides. Like uh, you go like uh, as you get to a certain age, you go fuck my knee, <laughs> or strangely my shoulder, my shoulder, and then oh it went away. <laughs> that happens more and more. Also, you find that you have to personally trim a lot of areas a lot more than you used to, Marty. Um, when you're in your uh, early twenties. Uh, uh, I remember I would wash my hair with ivory soap and never groom at all. Uh, and, I, and I had to carry an enormous stick covered with shit to beat the pussy away. So I don't think it really matters. But as I've gotten older, uh, I think the good things are, you know how to order a bottle of wine. That's not as embarrassing as it used to be. Um, you give less of a fuck about people's opinions. Uh, I think that's a good thing. Uh, the things you like, you, you actually know that you like. They're not just things you think you should fucking like. Like, if you were in your uh, 20s and the 90s or your teens, you might have, you know, someone might have played you Radiohead and you had to go, fucking, that was good. <laughs> just for example. <laughs> Say you were a young person now. Say you were 17 now. Uh, you might, they might be playing a Rihanna jam or Kesha or something like that or MIA uh, and, 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 or Adele and going, isn't this the fucking best song ever? And you'd be like, fucking yeah. <laughs> and then later you'd hear other records and go, oh, that wasn't quite as good. Even though your halcyon days are your best days, according to other people like Mr. Hambone. Um, I think that, that those are the best parts. You're a little more confident in certain situations. Uh, you're also, uh, strangely, what happens is uh, you're less confident in other situations. You're asking me what the best part was, but I'm going to give you both parts. Um, when I was 19 or 20, I would go on stage with the most ungodly, unprepared, weak-ass shit in the history of mankind and hope to fob it off on an audience. At this age, nothing has really changed. <laughs> And I think that's the best part. You have the confidence of age to back up the heedlessness of youth. And, and that's really it. That and, and, the, and the shit doesn't matter as much as you thought it did. 
um, that dude that you thought you hurt his feelings and that he was actually a douchebag, you know what? He was a douchebag. <laughs> and you don't have to talk to him ever fucking again. Uh, and the other good part is your family gets older and they're more tolerable. I don't mean they get better. I just mean you can tolerate them more. Because they don't have the energy to ride up your ass every second of the cocking day. That one made me laugh. <laughs> and the other best thing about getting older is you realize as you get older that the bourgeoisie and the rebel. <laughs> music really is them. You know what? I don't have an ending. I don't fucking care anymore. <laughs> really? We're going to make the empty straw noise now, Greg? For a while, till something funny happens. I have to go to Tampa tomorrow. You guys are going to be here in L.A. Yeah, I have to fly to Tampa. When I get off the plane tomorrow night, after landing for a while in Charlotte, because, by the way, there's no direct flights between L.A. and Tampa because no one apparently wants to go directly between L.A. and Tampa. I have to stop somewhere else and then go to Tampa. When I get off the plane, I'm going to be in Tampa. It's going to be 10 p.m. It's going to be humid and shit. And there's going to be bug noises. That I know about Florida. That's noise bugs make. They squeal in a rodent-like manner. And there's also reptiles all over Florida. Florida is infested with fucking gigantic saurians. And they don't care about human life. Florida is also full of people. Nobody's from Florida. They're all from New Jersey. If you go to Miami, they're all from Haiti and Cuba and shit. No, they're, they're full of Floridians. They're pretty nice. It's going to be fun. I think it'll be really fun. I mean, I don't want to hear about what you're doing tomorrow night. Oh, we're going to a pre-Grammy party. It's blowjob taco night over at... I said it's blowjob taco night. Because I want to get my heart on before Slarch gets started. <laughs> you guys have been nice. A lot of times it's traditional where I come from to end a comedy show. <laughs> Fortunately, we're not bound by that outdated bullshit. We live free and run with the night. We're like the stickleback. There's few of us left, but we're fucking delightful to look at and strangely formed. <laughs> have I mentioned how sagacious I am in my old age? I wonder if you could have learned this, Greg, during your many years as a comedian. What's that, audience? Brevity? My understanding is it's the soul of wit. Well, then what would loquaciousness be? The last redoubt of the garrulous? What about it, Matt? How did Jimmy Pardo end in Indiana? I know how our Dean Taylor ended. Because Indiana wanted him, but he can't go back there. Thank you. One fucking person remembers that song. Thank you. 
But I can't go back, Lord, I can't. And then, of course, the Jackson 5 were going back to Indiana. I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. I'm home, yeah. It was a quick trip. I think there's another comedy show in here. And my understanding is it might be occurring while this one's going on. We won't be back in L.A. for a while, will we? When's our next time in L.A.? Next month, I think. March? March. Slarch. And uh, we'll be here in Slarch, but we'll be in uh, uh, Raleigh in uh, two weeks' time. Uh, until then, or a week after they drop this one. See, chronology gets all fucked up. Uh, we'll be in Raleigh at Good Nights uh, on the 23rd, and I hope to see you there. We'll also be there for a weekend of stand-up comedy. This has been The Smartest Man in the World, Proopcast. My name's Greg Proops. I thank everyone for coming out, and I thank you for your kind indulgence out there in Proopcast world. Peace. Good night. Woo!